You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Man, I, I pray today as we start a brand new season that that is your prayer. That no matter where you're at in life, no matter what's taking place in your heart today, that you would begin to focus on the vision that God has for you. And that you would begin to focus on the vision that God has for our church and how you partner with that vision, how we together accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish. And so today we're going to start a brand new series going through the book of Nehemiah. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and find the book of Nehemiah. You're going to go to First and Second Chronicles, keep going to the right, and uh, Ezra, then Nehemiah. And as you're kind of finding your place there today, I do have some, um, an important uh, announcement. So uh, how many of you guys are thinking about Christmas? You're Christmas people, you've already got the music. All right, so uh, some of you guys are, are jacked about Christmas. Some of you are like, we don't think about it until after Thanksgiving. How many of you are like, not till after Thanksgiving, Trent? Well, we've got to think about it. This year's a little bit different because Christmas falls on a Sunday. And so uh, we know that most people will, if they're going to attend church, they're more likely to attend church on a, on a Christmas day or a Christmas service or Easter. And so we're, we're, we were been praying about how can we have maximum impact in our community uh, during this Christmas season. And so as we thought about it, we thought, man, if we have church on that Sunday, the actual 25th, I don't know what that impact is going to feel like. So what can we do different? And, and we thought, you know what? Let's do something we've never done before. And um, so we, we thought we're going we're gonna, to, instead of going off-site like we've done in the past and go to a different venue, we're going we're gonna to have our Christmas services here at FC. But we're going to have Friday night, Christmas Eve Eve, two opportunities, two services uh, for you to attend, for you to serve in, for you to invite people to come to. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to have three services for you to invite friends to and serve in. And then actually on the actual 25th, Christmas Day, on that Sunday, we won't be having any services because our services are going to be on Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve. Does that make sense? And so we're going to pump this up. Man, we need you guys to get excited about this. I'm telling you, it is going to be an incredible day. The music that day is going to blow our socks off. The message is going to be okay. Uh, but the, the whole experience... Is going to be amazing, and and I'm gonna. I can promise you this. I'm not gonna ask people to tithe. I'm not gonna, you know, talk about anything controversial. I'm gonna talk about the gospel and how it saves us and what Christmas is. And so, invite everybody you know, okay, and 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 begin that journey right here, right now, this week. We're gonna talk more and more about it in the coming days. Uh, but I'm excited about it, and uh, I hope that you guys will be as well. Um, in the life of our church. I wanted to do a series during this time that really reflected the, the importance of the season that we're in as a church, because we've gone through various seasons, you know, as we started, we're seven years old, and we've gone through, you know, uh, just different, different seasons, just like life, where, you know, we, we've had spikes in attendance, we've had a lot of people coming to know Christ, we've had some difficult seasons, we've had some, some lean financial seasons, we've had some blessings financially, and, you know, it's just up and down, and, 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 and we're just following God's will, and, you know, the, the season that we are in as a church now is very significant because we're never going to get this season back. We're only going to get one shot to prepare our hearts and move into this brand new building that we're building next door to us. And so it's an important season. It's important for so many reasons. And so as we think about this season, as we think about the life of our church now, 
we wanted to remind you that the reason why we build, the reason why we, we continue to push that vision and see God's vision being this building as our next step is because we're for our city. We're for the city. And we, we recognize that as we build this, we are opening up room, we're opening up space so that people who are far from God can be drawn into this place and hear about the gospel, be connected to you and, and, and begin to experience God's vision and will for their life. So this isn't about building a building and having something different and, and, and just providing for our needs. We really truly see this as something that is, is really the biggest thing this city is experiencing right now, and, and, and the majority of them don't even realize it. And so as we think about this, I, I think about our future a lot. I think about the vision, the future of FC all the time, think about it a lot. I, I think about my vision like for, for what God has for me, my, per, you know, my, my personal walk and leadership and what God is doing. But I wanted to start today with the question, well, what is vision? What really is vision? We talk about our vision as being you know, to this, this idea that we want to develop mature disciples of Christ in relational environments. And so, so what, what does vision even mean before we can, we can really tackle what that specifically is for us? Let's, let, me, let me just try to answer that. And I'll answer that by asking you an initial question. Have you, have you ever felt like God wanted you to do something that you couldn't quite get out of your mind? You just kind of wrestled with that and you were, it was on your mind a lot and you're, you're just kind of stirred up by that thought or whatever that action was. There's a pastor in Atlanta that wrote a book called Visioneering. And in that book, he says, a vision is born out of a deep-rooted desire to change what is to what should be or could be. Visions, you see, are born when someone's not satisfied with the status quo, with, with what's happening, the, the averageness or the status quo of the situation. Vision is when you cannot accept things that the way that they are currently happening. And, but a vision is so much more than just seeing what could be. There's a part of you that sees this vision and says, not only could it be done, it must be done. And if I don't do it, then I am sinning against God. So that God-given vision is not just what could be or should be, it has to be. And God stirs our heart to accomplish that. Now, when we go through the life of Nehemiah, we're gonna take a journey and see some incredibly valuable leadership lessons. And so if you wanna grow as a leader, this is a series that you're gonna love. As we pursue God's vision for our church here, we're gonna see how, how Nehemiah's, like, has, has his plan and how God blesses him and his, his model uh, really applies to us. And I believe it's gonna give us energy. I believe it's gonna give us direction and prepare us even more so for God's vision for our church as we take this next step and prepare our heart and mind for this new building and the sacrifice that it's gonna take, uh, the resources it's gonna take, for some of you that have been giving faithfully and being a part of this, God's blessing and rewarding you in great ways. And some of you new folks who, who haven't joined this yet, we're going to encourage you to do that. We're going to encourage you to join what God is doing here. And so if we turn in Nehemiah chapter 1, let me give you a little history. In 587 BC, so before Christ was born, the Babylonians invade Jerusalem and they destroy it. They, they destroy the temple, they tear down the walls, and then they take several hundred Israelites back to Babylon as slaves, 800 uh, to be exact. And so um, Babylon was essentially Iraq today. 
And so they, they actually did, they, 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 they invaded three different times, and every time they took more Israelites with them. Well, then the Persians come along, and the Persians overcome the Babylonians. And so now they're running the show. And, and so uh, Cyrus was the, the king of Persia, and he was a little bit more sympathetic to the Jews, and he let some go back to Jerusalem, and, and uh, he let them, you know, attempt to kind of rebuild their temple and kind of rebuild the city. But but things weren't going really well at all. The leader of the Jews at that time in, in Jerusalem was Zerubbabel, and he was not doing a very good job. And the people were continuing to worship other idols. They were incorporating some of the other religious ideas into their camp. The sacrificial system was completely non-existent, and so things were in disarray. And that's where we find Nehemiah chapter 1. He discovers the state of his city and his people. And so let's read together several verses here, starting in verse 1. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th century, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So he, he discovers that, he, that he's got some friends that went to Jerusalem. They come back. He's like, hey, how are our people doing back in the city? And he says they're in disarray. They're in great trouble. There's great shame. The, the walls have been torn down by fire. This upsets Nehemiah. Verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I, And my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Verse 8, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell. Verse 10, They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Several verses there. I wanna really unpack them and see, see how we can model what Nehemiah is experiencing. And the first thing that I would say is that God's vision begins with a burden. It begins with a a brokenness for his city. And I wanna encourage us to have that same brokenness for our city. Think of where Nehemiah is at. He hears the news and he is in the palace of the king of Persia the finest wine, the finest food. He was living in the lap of luxury. He had everything that he needed. 
And yet he heard about the state of his city, his people, and he was broken. He, he was burdened for them. You see, a burden from God is gonna get your attention. You'll think about it. And sometimes you won't be able to sleep at night because of it. You can't let it go. And that's where Nehemiah is at. He's got a burden for his city. Let me ask you, has God ever given you a burden like this? Has God ever broken your heart for this city, the city where we live? What was it that first grabbed your attention in life and you said, you know what, this isn't right. Something, something needs to be done. Something needs to be changed. And God began to draw you into that situation. You were broken. You wept over it. Not just for your personal conditions or how it affected you personally or your family, but God has given a burden for other people for his glory. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever experienced that? I think, I think it's important that we start to think about and see the condition of the people in our city, in our area. Their lostness, their pain, their brokenness, the broken families we see around us. And when you begin to see that, you see that God is not being honored, not being glorified. That should break our hearts. It should begin to give us a burden for this city and for this area like never before. God begins to birth that care and that concern for us. We see how things are and we say that's not how they should be. We think about what could be, what should be, and we begin to pursue that in our city. You know, maybe you think that Maryville, Knoxville is, is, is a great place to live, and it is. And maybe you kind of live in a neighborhood that is nice and you go to an office that is nice and then you kind of take your kids to school that is nice and then you get to go home and you kind of live in this little bubble where everything just seems to be grand and great. And, and, and what begins to happen is you become blind to the problems around us. And if you're not actively serving in the community around it, you don't see the drug addiction, the brokenness, the, 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 the problems that are in our area. And so I brought a few statistics here to help us open our eyes, and I'm praying God uses this to really stir something in our heart today. Did you know that this year, 2016, in January, the President of the United States declared Blunt County a high-intensity drug trafficking area? And special grants and special money are given to this county this year to combat the problems that we're facing. Did you know that? the highway that you drove on to turn into this church is most likely one of the most trafficked areas for drugs in the country. Not just in the state or in the city, in the country. I looked this up and I, I discovered what the criteria were for a county to be considered a high trafficked drug area. And this was number one on the list. For this to take place, the county has to have drug-related activities in the area and that they are having a significant harmful impact in the area. That's number one. So our government officials has, have, has deemed our home, our county, place where you live, one of the worst places in the country as it relates to drug use and drugs being trafficked in and out of this area. That should bother you. That should that should scare you for your children. 
Something should happen about that. And I'm not just gonna ask for or, or hope that the government gives our city officials more money to take care of that. You and I have the answer. We are the hope for our community. It should bug us. It should bother you today. Did you know that Blount County also has the highest rate of children per capita in DCS, Department of Children's Services? So per capita, our county in the entire state of Tennessee has the highest rate of children in that system. Now, this is a problem on many levels. So how does a church impact a community? Well, how, how do we impact marriages and families with the gospel? That's a big question. How are we, how are we engaging our, our city with the gospel in such a way that moms and dads are engaging that and learning how to be a mom and dad and staying married and, and being equipped to do that? And then there's this other side of, we have all these children in DCS where are the people who are fostering these children? Where are they at? Are they just in the system? Or are God's people stepping into that situation and saying, you know, we, we've got space. We, we can sacrifice time and money to make this happen. See, that's a problem that we as a church can and should fix. And I'd like for this county over the next five years to be the lowest in the state, not the highest as a result of the burden that God gives to us. Did you know that Tennessee was ranked number 10 in the country on teen births? Number 10 on teenagers becoming pregnant. And that out of those, 22% of those teenagers who become pregnant will end their pregnancy through abortion. You should break your heart. We're ranked number 10. Folks, these are issues that you and I, we better do something about them. We can't just stand back and watch this happen. How are we engaging in this? There was a recent study by an organization called the Intercultural Institute for Contextual Ministry. <laughs> That's a mouthful. They did some research in Knoxville. So when I say city, I'm thinking Maryville, Alcoa, Blount County, Knoxville, because this is our sphere of influence, right? This is our area. And so this study was done specifically in Knoxville. I think it relates to all of us. And what the study discovered in Knoxville is that 80% of the population is not actively involved in a church. 80%. Now, you might want to argue with me on that. You might say, I don't believe that. Everybody I know is going to church. Everybody around here, we're in the South. This is Bible Belt. Everybody. But you do realize something, right? you do realize that there are thousands of people in our city that say that they are a part of Foothills Church because they came here once or twice or maybe a couple of weeks in a row. There's a lot of people in our area that say they belong to churches that aren't really actively involved in that church. And so what that should tell us is, okay, 80% are living that way. That means that they haven't experienced the full extent of the gospel in their life. They haven't seen the impact of what Jesus wants to do and can do in their life. And, and, and therefore, they're not engaging in the local church for God's mission. That's an issue. That's a problem. 80%. We've got a lot of work to do. The study also identified what they call the Duns, D-O-N-E-S. They discovered that in Knoxville, 40% of the people in Knoxville are done with church. In other words, they went to church as a kid and decided they're done. Not going back. 
Maybe they, they grew up and they, they had a bad experience in church. They saw something happen in leadership, whatever they were hurt, and they just said, you know what, we're done. 40%. And then finally, they've identified a group called the nuns. Not like priests and nuns, but the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, nuns. In other words, they, they have no affiliation with any religion. They're not affiliated with any religion. They're not going to church. They're we would call unchurched. 40%. So there's our 80% of the people in this area are not engaged in a church, not experienced the life-transforming power of the gospel. Now listen to me. These are real numbers and real problems that you and I as a church can engage and actually transform. I believe that. I believe if we are for the city, you will have a burden for this city. You'll have a burden for the gospel. If you will care about this, we together can fight against some of these problems and see transformation happen together. Man, that's exciting. So that's why we build. That's why we invite Because as people are encountering the Lord Jesus Christ, they are transformed, which means marriages are transformed, addictions are broken, kids have homes. People experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. I I believe God has a vision for everybody in here today. I believe God has a plan and a purpose for each one of you. And maybe your entire life up to this point, you've been separated from that vision and you're just kind of doing life and you're, and you're not engaging the call God has for you. And so I wanna ask you to wrestle with this question. What has God given you a burden for? What do you care about? What has he broken your heart over? And if he has not, then today our prayer is, God, break our heart for the things that break your heart. God's vision is mostly intimidating. You know, when we think about what he's calling us to do, all these numbers, all these stats, it's intimidating. God, how can we do this? I feel inadequate. I feel overwhelmed. And it's in that tension of feeling overwhelmed and not really knowing how he's going to do it that we have to embrace that tension. We do what Nehemiah did. And he went to his knees in prayer and in fasting. Look at verses 5 through 11. If you're taking notes, God's vision is clarified through prayer and fasting. So this is important. He prays, he fasts for four months. We see him, we see him praying and in, in, in not talking about this vision to the king yet or to anybody else. He's living again in the palace with the greatest food, the greatest whatever, and, and he's not eating anything. And he's praying to God and he's asking God for help and direction here. And so the vision is clarified. And so a, a, a big vision requires bold prayer. And you and I have to engage that right here, right now. This is the season that we're in as we're preparing for this next move, how God is calling each of us to be a part of it. Big vision requires bold prayer. You see, prayer is necessary. We, we know this, you've heard this. But it's so important to distinguish between a good idea and a God idea. Because we've all had good ideas. You had a good idea about something and you tried it at church or you tried it somewhere and it lasted for four, five, six weeks and then it kind of fell apart. Why? Well, maybe it was leadership. Maybe it was because it wasn't really God's vision or God's idea. It was your idea. And there's a big difference. And so our our prayer and our seeking of God in, in that season is so valuable. It's so important because there's a difference between caring about something and being called to something. 
I care about the homeless in, you know, in Knoxville and in our city, but God hasn't called me to create a homeless shelter and to feed them and to do, he hasn't called me. I care about it, but he's not called me to lead that. You know, we, we should care about a lot of things, but God's call is more specific in, in certain areas. And so that's why we talk about everything. And then we let the Holy Spirit wrestle with each one of us as he calls us individually to certain specific areas. And as a church, collectively, he's called us here. Some of you, you've been called here. You're not here by accident. You've been, you've been given this burden for your family or your children. And you've said, I need to get my kids in church. I need to get you know, my, my, my family in church, my, my husband, my, my wife. Man, we're struggling. We need God to do something here. And so, so you've gathered here with this understanding that, that we're seeking this God and we're rallying around what he wants to do in our life. I, I love Nehemiah's prayer. He starts in verse five by acknowledging God's greatness, how awesome God is. And so he starts in, 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 in verse five and he says, "O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love them. Like this is where our power comes from, the greatness of God. So often we step into our prayer time and say, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Hi, God, I need you to do this and do that. But I think it's important that we, we step into prayer recognizing who it is we're talking to here, that we are connecting to this amazing, great God. And it's this God that is gonna give us this vision. At this point, God's not concerned with the how. He's not concerned with how it's gonna happen. Nehemiah hasn't even gone there yet. He's not concerned with how. Right now, God's focused on, on who. Who's going to go? Who's going to step into this vision? So often, we kind of feel that tug or that pull. Man, God's calling me to do something. I really want to be involved. I really want to do this. But I don't know how we're going to do it. My schedule, my money, our relationship. I'm not good enough. I don't know the Bible. All these kind of how questions. And, and, and it's so, it's, it's such, I think, part of our spiritual warfare and our inner, you know, battle within that God is gonna take care of the how. God's looking for the who. Remember Isaiah? Who's gonna go for me? Who am I gonna send? And Isaiah says, I'll go, God, if you tell me how it's gonna work out. No. He says, here I am, send me, and I'll figure out the how as I take that next step that you've called me to take. And some of you need to take that next step. You're worried about how it's gonna work out. You're worried about, I, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. This is all new to me. This is all, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just not at ease. That's the tension where God does his best work in you. Embrace that tension. Walk in that tension. Live faithfully in that moment. And I promise you, God will be faithful. We also see here that he, he admits his failures. Verses six and seven, he's, he's confessing the sin of his people. He's saying, God, we have, we've walked away from you. And he says, even my own house, We've walked away and he confesses. And so as, as we are broken over the needs of our city, we've got to acknowledge God's greatness. We've got to confess our own sin and, and, and our need for him. And then in verse eight, he remembers God's promises. Remember his promises. Remember that we reap what we sow. We always think of that in terms of negativity. We were talking about this at man night last night, which was awesome, by the way. Talk about how we reap what we sow, but that always in a negative context. If you do that, it's gonna be bad but it's also in the positive light. If you are sowing seeds of righteousness, you're gonna reap a harvest, a harvest of blessing and encouragement. And so, so with that idea, we know that as we seek to make disciples here faithfully, God is gonna bless our effort. 
As we seek to, to meet needs in this city and we are stepping out and building this building by faith to make room for new people, God's gonna bless. God's going to send us a lot of people, by the way. A lot of people are gonna show up and some of you are not gonna like it. You're gonna be like, why are these people here? I liked it better when we were on the other side. Smaller, it was better, I liked it better. Some of you are gonna actually leave the church because of that. I hate, I hate to acknowledge that, but some of you will because you don't understand the vision. You don't understand what God's doing here. And so that's why we have to prepare our heart right here, right now for what he's about to do. Because when God sends us, however many people he sends us, we need more people that are here raised up as leaders and ready to disciple and lead groups and do ministry and welcome and do all the ministry that God is calling us to do in our future and even today. I love how in verse 11, he's asking for an opportunity. He's asking here, God, give me success. Give me mercy. Give me blessing. You know, and, and, and I think that's, that's, that's great. I mean, we should recognize that. God, God give us success. Bless what we're doing here, God. We, we need your blessing. We, we want success to happen, God. Help us to be faithful to your, your plan. So many times I, I think that we just wanna pray for a miracle instead of actually praying for an opportunity. God, just change my husband. I need a miracle. Change that man. You know, guys are guilty too. God, change my wife, you know. We want a miracle. Change our kids. Change my boss. I need a miracle. Drop $10,000 out of the sky because I was done with my money, you know. God, God, give us a miracle. But what about praying for an opportunity? Instead of just praying that our husband would change or our wife would change, God, give me an opportunity to speak encouragement into her. Help me to recognize that. God, instead of just asking for more money, God, give me an opportunity to be faithful with what you've given me today. Give me, God, we want you to save everybody in our family or save our city, but God, give me an opportunity to share my faith with somebody. This is a big difference, you know. Nehemiah doesn't just show up and say, God, build this wall. I want you to build the wall back around the city. and You just kind of drop it out of heaven. God, build this wall. Make the Babylonians pay for it, right, you know. He doesn't, doesn't do that. He says, I'm a cupbearer. Give me an opportunity to talk to the king. Give me success. Show favor. Show mercy. Humanly speaking, the king would never finance this project. The king would never show favor to Nehemiah. The king would never do this. But prayer takes us beyond human possibility. If you would have told us seven years ago, we'd be running 1,200 people, building an auditorium that is, is, is gonna blow our minds, we wouldn't have believed it. But God doesn't show us how it's all gonna end. He shows us what we're supposed to do today. And prayer takes us beyond all human possibilities. Thirdly, God's vision positions us to accomplish the mission. God's vision is always going to position us to accomplish his mission. So wherever he has placed you today, he is going to use where you're at today to accomplish his mission. So I know for Nehemiah, he probably think, you know, I'm a cupbearer. What can I do? I can't speak to the king. It's not like they were, 
they were bros. They're like, oh, you're going to love this year. Have, have a glass of this, sir. You know, it wasn't like an ongoing relationship. He didn't speak. Uh, you would have been killed to be able to just boldly speak in front of the king. So there was fear there. And, and some of you guys are, are, are maybe like Nehemiah, potentially I can see how he was like, man, I'm a cupbearer, I'm around him, but how am I ever gonna speak to him? How, how am I ever gonna you know, get this out and begin to share this with him? How is it ever gonna happen? For four months he's praying here. We don't you know, know how frustrated he was during that time, but, but I imagine some of you guys are frustrated where you're at too. God, why'd you bring me here? God, why are you doing this? God, I, I, I wanna do this, but you're not like letting me do that yet because I keep running into this problem and these things just aren't working out. And, and what I think you gotta remember is you gotta be faithful where God has called you to be today. Be faithful where you're at today. And as you're faithfully doing what God has called you to do today, you're in expectation praying that he's going to open up those doors of opportunities in the future. And so we understand that, we, we realize that, we, we wanna grasp that maybe God has you exactly where you're supposed to be and you just need to be patient. At the end of the day, if you don't hear anything else I say, I do want you to grasp this today. When God gives us a burden over what's wrong, he calls us to a vision of what's right. He's gonna give us a burden for what's wrong, but we've gotta be willing to hear and listen to the vision of what's right. It's really easy to point out problems in the church. It's really easy to point out problems at work. Anybody can, can point out the cracks and the problems, but the real leaders, the people that understand the vision will not just see the problems, but they'll be able to step into the vision of how it can be corrected and move in that direction, realizing that it's never gonna be perfect, but I can help us get to that point. And so God is gonna do that in each of you if you will, in fact, allow him to. My dad is a pastor. He, um, he and my mom were living in Columbus, Ohio. He was working at General Motors at the time. And uh, he was in his late 20s, early 30s, and God called him into ministry. And he left everything that he knew, all his family, all his friends, packed up the car at that point, three kids. They moved to Nashville. He went to Belmont University, got a college degree, went to school because he knew if I'm gonna go into ministry, I gotta get my degree. No one in his family had ever gotten a college degree. And so he, off he goes. Um, pastored a church with like 30 people, made 60 bucks a week, went to school, played basketball, raised his family. From that point, went to seminary. Uh, after seminary, went to a couple of churches, found himself in Cincinnati, Ohio, at a church that was growing, doing great things. It's where I was born and where I, where I spent a lot of my childhood. And then a, a church in Knoxville, Tennessee, called and, and said, hey, we want you to come pastor here. Um, said no, kind of went back and forth, eventually accepted, moved down to a church in Knoxville, uh, running about 200 people, staff looked like Napoleon Dynamite's friends. It was just not a good situation. By all human perspectives, not a good move. In the country, didn't, nobody was there. I was like, why are you taking me to the country? And uh, so here, there, there he found himself. He understood that his role was to make disciples. Over the course of 27 years, he faithfully walked in that vision. And that 200 people became 500, and then it became 1,000, and then 15, and then 200, and then 3,000 people attending that church a school that is, is, is doing incredible things. 
um, a mission ministry that's really all over the world. Uh, we, we see a television ministry. Oh, oh, man, I could go on and on. Thousands of lives changed. And he's one of my heroes. My mom's, I mean, they're one of my heroes. And I see, I, I see their life. I see why and how they did everything. And I know it was really, really difficult. And, and I see how he started out. And, and I, I think about this often. I think, you know, what made him successful? What, when did he become successful? Was it when he reached 1,000 or 2,000 or built a school or built a huge church and all that land that they've got, several acres? Like, when did that happen? When did Nehemiah become successful? If you read the book, if you've read the story, I mean, was Nehemiah successful when the wall was built and people returned and people were happy? When, when does that take place? Are you successful? I mean, have, have you made it? Have you like looked at the scoreboard of culture and said, all right, I accomplished this, I accomplished that, I accomplished that. I'm successful. For me, I go, it goes back all the way back <clears throat> to my dad's late 20s when he had a vision for his life and he was living what he knew to live and what he felt like was the right thing for him to do. But he wasn't successful just when the church grew or or, or people came to know Christ. He, he was successful the moment he stepped into the vision that God had for him. And the moment he said yes to God's vision, and he stepped into that faithfully and began to work that process and began to embrace that tension and began to climb that mountain, he was successful. Same for Nehemiah. The day his heart was broken and he began to pray for his city, he was stepping into the vision that God has for him or had for him. So the reality is, you may have the house, the cars, the whatever, and by world standards, you're successful. But in God's economy, you haven't made it yet. Why? Because you've never stepped into his vision for your life. You've been fighting against it. You've been pushing against it. You've been fighting against your family and your spouse, and, and you've been fighting against what God wants to do and say, instead of saying, God, your will be done in heaven as it is on earth, as it is in my own heart, in my own life. And the minute you begin to step into that vision, no matter what the results look like, no matter what culture believes or thinks is success, when you step into that, not only in God's eyes are you successful, but you feel successful. So that joy of knowing that you are doing what God has called you to do, knowing that you are impacting the kingdom of, of God, Set something in your heart and in your mind on a pace and a pathway that is better than anything this life can offer you. So here's my takeaway today. Uh, I wanna call us, just like Nehemiah, to a season of prayer and fasting. Over the course of our church, we've had many of these and God has honored and blessed us in that season. And right now, as we come into the holiday season and, 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 and really kick into this, this busy time of year, I want us to focus on prayer and fasting for our city, for the gospel to impact and transform this city, for the gospel to impact us so that we would make that impact. We wanna pray that we are ready for what God is gonna do when we build this building. We wanna pray that God is, is, is allowing us to be sacrificial with our own resources to make this a reality. And I do wanna encourage you to fast. Maybe that's one day a week. Maybe that's seven full days Whatever, whatever that looks like for you. Sometimes we've done that prayer and fasting at the beginning of the year. We're gonna do it right before Thanksgiving. So I'd recommend not doing it on Thanksgiving. You're gonna miss out. But as we go through this series, I encourage you to do that. We've got, I've got sermons online about fasting if you're interested. You can look those up. 
and, and learn more about them. So here's the prayer and the model for, for what we're going to do. You guys, put on the screen Luke 10 too. This is one of those verses that, um, that Jesus shares with us that changes our outlook, right? And Luke 10 too, Jesus says, the harvest is, say it with me, plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. What that means is the people of God are scattered throughout this city who will say yes to Jesus, but they haven't been given the opportunity yet. So the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there are a lot of people out there in our city that want to and would come to this church and be impacted by the gospel if we were faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. The harvest is plentiful. That's not the problem. Jesus identifies the problem here. He says, but the laborers are few. So he tells us, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So in this season, we want to pray a Luke 10 to prayer to send out harvesters into the harvest field. And so I want you to pray for our staff. I want you to pray for our leaders, our small group leaders. I want you to pray that God would send you out, not only to this city, but God's going to call some of you out to help us plant churches in Knoxville and and, in the surrounding area. Pray for Pastor Greg in D.C. where he is. We have already sent him out. Pray and lift him up. And here's how we're going to be reminded of this. I want you guys to get your phones out, your watch out, whatever it is that reminds you of stuff, and set your reminder and your alarms for 10.02, Luke 10.02, 10.02, so that every day at 10.02, you're gonna, your phone's going to buzz, you're going to get an alert, and, and, and you're going to be reminded that it's time for you to pray for harvesters. It's time for you to pray that, that, that laborers would be sent out. And, 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 and you would say, God, help me to be sent out. God, I wanna, be a, I wanna be a harvester. I wanna be a laborer. God, where are you sending me? And then you're praying for all these. That may be a one sentence prayer. might be a one minute, 10 minute prayer. You're gonna be in a meeting and it's gonna be 10.02 and your phone's gonna be like, zzz, zzz, and somebody's gonna be talking and you're, you're not gonna be paying attention. You're gonna say, God, I'm gonna pray for more laborers to be sent out at Foothills Church. I'm sorry, excuse me, what did you say? Yeah, you're gonna zone back in. Every day, 10.02. Now, you may become a super Christian, and you may go 10.02 in the morning and then 10.02 at night and just blow the socks off out. And some of you are like, I go to bed at 10, Trent, so I can't do that. Pick one. Be reminded, and may that be our prayer during this entire season. Is that good? You guys like that? 10.02. Let's pray. Father God, may we have a burden for our city. Not just a we feel sorry for people attitude. May we have a burden that breaks our heart. Wake us up from our slumber, Lord Jesus. Shake us out of our insensitivity. Shake us out of a lifestyle that focuses on self and help us to see the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our church and in us individually that can transform lives. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.